0: Hi, Claire and James here. Just before we get stuck into this week's episode, we wanted to let you know the exciting news that the Midlife Reset Audit is now live. This is a first-of-its-kind personalised diagnostic tool designed for midlifers by midlifers.
1: In just three minutes, the audit will help you pinpoint what's really holding you back from living your healthiest, happiest midlife, and most importantly, provide tailored strategies on how to take back control. Midlife doesn't have to be a time of uncertainty. It can be an era of growth, discovery, and well-being. So to go ahead and take the audit, go to midlifementors.com forward slash audit.
0: In this episode, we talk to journalist and author Jonathan Rauch about his book on midlife, The Happiness Curve. Inspired by his own experience, Jonathan looked at research on age and happiness and found it shows that from our 20s into our 40s, happiness follows a well-documented U-shaped trajectory, a happiness curve declining from the optimism of youth into what's an often long, low trough into middle age before starting to rise again in our 50s.
1: The good news is this isn't a midlife crisis, but a chance to embrace becoming a wiser being, shifting priorities away from competition and towards connection, compassion and gratitude. Jonathan is really open about his own journey and offers useful tips to navigate the challenges that arise at the bottom of the curve and find a path through the midlife malaise. The hope is that this conversation helps you feel less alone, ashamed or confused about what's going on and also hopeful about the possibilities and opportunities that lie ahead. Hi, I'm James Davis
0: and I'm Claire Davis.
1: We're the Midlife Mentors, here to lift the lid on how to achieve health and happiness.
0: The balanced, no-nonsense way.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Midlife Mentors with me, James.
0: And me, Claire. So we're recording this. I don't know when this is going to go out. We've got a guest. We're very, very, very excited to speak to our guest today. But um, it's got chilly here in London so much so that they are breaking the ice on the Hampstead Heath ponds so we're very excited about going for our swim tomorrow aren't we Mr D
1: I think we will be ice breaking tomorrow for our swim yeah indeed
0: we are those crazy cats if you don't know this we are those crazy cats that like cold water swimming but uh, I think that might be a little bit extreme
1: although I am pleasantly surprised by the sunny weather we're getting at the moment because um it has been very gray for a very long time but we've had the last few days lovely sunshine crisp and cold just how we like it
0: oh I don't know about anyone out there but I just love I I love the winter days when they're sunny because the blue sky is just beautiful it's just the rain i don't like i don't want it cold i i just want it sunny so we've been blessed with that
1: we have and when the weather's like this it's a lot easier to your dry january <laughs> You don't feel that well, the lure of the pub.
0: <laughs> well, listen, I I've been alcohol free for many for many many stints. This I know you It's is hard harder me. for you. I've had 150 days plus under my belt before, yeah. so you're finding it. You're not finding it that much. I'm not of a finding it that
1: hard actually. No, not at all.
0: I all right, I'm supporting you. You can yeah. do it. You can, can do, do it. it. <laughs> anyway, let, let's get
1: on to our guest. We are so excited for our guest today. So we've got Jonathan Rauch, uh, author of the amazing book The Happiness Curve, mm. and a fellow of the Brookings Institution in washington welcome jonathan
2: nice to be here Thank great you. to
1: have you here joining us all the way from washington dc yes, yes. um i was gonna ask actually before we get in because we've had in the news here uh, people start to get excited about the u.s elections over there yet yeah, i know there's a, lo- a lot of noise
0: <laughs> going <straight> into <laughs> politics mister right, we're not going to talk <laughs>
1: politics i just, just want to know what the feeling's like over there because i've seen like obviously there was the iowa um whatever you call it what they call it
2: It's called a caucus and Yeah. in my world people are not too pleased with the result which is uh but we don't we don't need to get into politics no, we won't get no. it's, I, I it's still... too depressing and i have i have good news to share in this podcast yeah,
1: it's, well, it's <laughs> depressing. i think it's depressing no matter where you are in the western world but anyway we'll, we'll skip
0: over that james likes to collar anyone from the us to talk about politics I do. it's quite sweet that you like to talk to lots of people about politics but not everyone likes to talk about it now oh, I know. it's too controversial <laughs> what
1: we're here to talk about is jonathan's amazing book, mm. the happiness curve which is um all about, I guess, that midlife transition, what we used to think of or call mistakenly, I think, the midlife crisis, the midlife transition now, and how we actually reach this age of, of peak unhappiness and then come through the other side. Um, I hope I've explained it, it well enough there. But Jonathan, could you just share a, bit, a little bit about your background and what drew you to kind of research and write this book?
2: I'm a journalist in Washington, D.C. I've written about all sorts of things. This book, in some ways, is is my most personal because i'm now 63 i'm born in 1960 and around the turn of the century as i was entering my 40s i began feeling strangely discontent with my life even though objectively i was knocking it out of the park i was doing i was hitting all my goals and targets in life and doing better than i thought i could do and but these, these odd feelings of discontent, dissatisfaction, I'd wake up in the morning almost hearing these voices in my head telling me I had to change up my life, that I didn't amount to anything, that there must be better things for me than this. And I realized something that was, was really peculiar about this. When I turned 45, I won the, the biggest award in magazine journalism in the United States. It, it's the equivalent of the Pulitzer Prize. It's a really big deal hugely affirming and that finally gave me that sense of fulfillment and satisfaction i was looking for for about 10 days uh. <laughs> and then and then the demons came right back and at that point i understood that what was happening to me was not rational it wasn't depression but it was a kind of chronic discontent and then i began to think well this is bad because if this never gets any better i'm i'm just going to be one of these grouchy people. Things will only get worse from here. Um, and, And then oddly, around the age 50, things did begin to turn sour. Both of my parents died. One had a terrible long illness. My job went away. All kinds of things. Yet at the same time, these feelings of discontent gradually began to dissipate. And by about the age of 52 or 53, I could tell I had turned a corner. Well, I didn't know what was going on. Meanwhile, I'm sorry to be long-winded, but but no, this, this is, is to great. me such
0: this is great.
2: Such a central story. Meanwhile, I work at a think tank in Washington D.C. and one of the other researchers there studies happiness, not mood happiness, not what's called affective happiness. That's how do you what's your mood right now? You you get at that with questions like how many times did you smile today and do you feel worried? She studies evaluative happiness, which is really more important, and that's how do you evaluate the satisfaction of your life as a whole. And she was an economist of all things, but one of the people who had turned up this evidence of a U-shaped life satisfaction curve all around the world, all kinds of cultures, people seem to enter a dip in life satisfaction in their 40s on average, bottoming out in their mid to late 40s and then beginning to turn around in their 50s and on through the end of life. So I'm hearing this from a colleague and think, wait a minute, you've just described my life. I began to look into it in 2012. A study came out finding that the U-shaped curve applied to chimps and orangutans as well as humans. And that's when people really started paying attention that there's something pretty fundamental going on in our wiring that's causing this phenomenon. And I realized there has been nothing wrong with me in my 40s. I was going through this transition and decided to write a book about it. The goal of the book is so that other people won't be as frightened and alarmed as I was when I went through this, and to explain the purpose of it, why in fact there is a, a pot of gold at the end of this rainbow
1: yeah I love that I love that I think it's such an important message because you know when when you when we go out and we talk to people so many people do see midlife as still I hate the word but as, almost as, as a crisis point I guess maybe they if they're in that dip at the moment and they really struggle to see a way ahead and positivity and You know, I think the work we do, we get to show people that you know you you can get better health, you can increase your happiness, you you can go out and still achieve amazing things. We've had people like go off and launch completely new careers or or change jobs. But why do you think? What factors do you think contribute to this midlife dip in happiness?
2: Well, the first thing to do is is understand it correctly. Um, So I, I hope not to. I hope these answers aren't too long, but some of the context here is really interesting and important to understand what's happening. The first thing to say is your mileage may vary. What we're describing here doesn't apply to everyone in every situation. And the reason for that is that what we're talking about here is the effect of aging in and of itself on happiness. It turns out that the mere fact of going from about 25 to about 45 is equal to about half or 100% of something like a divorce or unemployment. Mm-hmm. And that's just the effect of aging. And then coming out of it is an equivalent amount in a positive direction. But aging is never the only important thing that's happening in your life. So if you win a Nobel Prize or get a cancer diagnosis, that may well outweigh this happiness curve effect of aging. I was feeling it because everything else in my life was stable and good. And paradoxically, if things in your life are stable and good, you're more vulnerable to feeling, noticing this effect of aging and then saying, wait a minute, what's wrong with me? There's nothing causing this. Mm -hmm. I, I, I I must be having some kind of crisis. So then we overreact. And then what is a natural change in our outlook and our priorities and our brains can become a crisis if we throw away our job or our marriage or make big mistakes. So the important thing here is to understand that if you're feeling this malaise, it's not about big mistakes necessarily or problems in your life. It's a natural transition.
0: Mm, and um, I think that can be so. Like you've already said, it was for you. I think it can be so scary because <clears throat> I I would believe like up until recently, and this is why your book is so incredible. And the conversations that we're we're having with people now, it could people felt very alone and very isolated. And actually, there's a there's a bit of shame, isn't there? I don't know whether you've come across this, but a bit of shame of saying actually my life all the things that I wanted to have, all the things that, you know, from the outside should make me that word should make me happy. I don't feel it. I feel discontented. And there is a level of, well, that's embarrassing to admit. I don't want to admit that because I don't want to seem ungrateful. So I'm just going to sit here in my isolation and experience this all alone and think that I'm, yeah, think that I, there's no one else like me. So that's why Something like your book is so incredible because it makes people feel less isolated.
2: Well, Claire, you you just put your finger on two of the most important things that are going on and two of the reasons that I decided to that I should write this book. So you've got the effect of the happiness transition itself going on, but then you get two or three things that add to it and can turn it into a spiral. The first is pessimism and gloom, and I experienced that. I've got all these good things happening. If that doesn't make me satisfied with my life, I will never be happy. I have turned into one of those grouchy, miserable people that I never wanted to be. Mm. So it began to shake my concept of myself. Mm. The second thing is the shame factor. We are rightly brought up to try to feel grateful and happy about meeting our goals in life. And and here I was. I, I had a long-term relationship that was succeeding. I had a good job. I had I had won these awards. I felt not only embarrassed, but ashamed that I couldn't feel gratitude. That seemed morally wrong to me, and I judged myself as morally wrong. And then you mentioned the third thing which goes on, adds to all of this, really can turn it into a spiral, which is the isolation. I didn't tell anyone about this, for a couple of reasons one was the sense of moral shame i mean who am i this is look at all the misery in the world who am i to complain i wasn't going to do that and beyond that i didn't feel like i needed psychiatry or medication i wasn't depressed but then i said well i don't you know i don't want to get in a situation where i've got a lot of people telling me i'm depressed and need help i didn't think people would understand and then i didn't want to be ridiculed about having a midlife crisis and that's the way we've dealt with this traditionally oh there's there's james you ready to buy your sports car james <laughs> yeah yeah. Absolutely. so i kept it to myself and isolating through this trying to deal with it all by yourself is the worst thing you can do so what we do is compound these problems by not understanding them in ourselves but especially not understanding them in each other. There's someone in your life, probably right now, could be yourself, could be a parent or a child or a friend who is struggling with this midlife transition, does not understand that it's normal and natural. You can reach that person and support that person and reassure that person, and I wish I had reached out
0: it's funny how our own experiences isn't it drive the next part of our life so this this very um challenging time of your life has led you to want to reach out to other people with this book it's really interesting how those moments get turned around in our life for a positive impact like your book
2: well i hope so what's mm-hmm. so gratifying about a book like this claire is getting getting the emails yes from people who say things like I thought there was something really wrong with me and it's it's such a relief to know that there's that I'm not in an endless downward cycle for example or occasionally it will be from a spouse or partner saying this has been so helpful in our relationship
1: I I think that's a really beautiful thing and it's so it's so needed because Something we encourage people to all the time is just be more vulnerable about how they're feeling, what they're going through. Because that in turn gives other people permission to speak up about how they feel as well. I wanted to pick up on something that just came to me when you were talking then. Like, obviously, if we go back 200 years, you know, what what we think of now as a midlife age was actually pretty much near the end of life. So so midlife, in a sense, is quite a, a new concept as we understand it. But at the same time, we've had that. We've had massive shifts in society and culture. So again, you know, we've had the in, in agricultural and then the industrial revolution, and that's arguably led to the breakdown of communities in the way that we know it. Many people now live in urban settings where they probably don't know their neighbours that well, as opposed to maybe 150 years ago, we were living in much more agrarian societies where there was probably a focal meeting point every week. We kind of knew everyone. How much do you think that ageing population, so we've now got midlife as a concept, coupled with those kind of social, cultural changes of the loss of community has an impact on, on how we feel around midlife?
2: Well, so there's so many cultural changes to think about, but just to reiterate what I said earlier, maybe the the strangest and hardest thing to understand about all this is, is that this effect of aging on life satisfaction appears to be largely independent of our particular surroundings and culture. Otherwise, you wouldn't see it in chimps and orangutans. Now, the the patterns that these curves take vary depending what country or culture you're in. For example, if you're Scandinavian, you're likely to be much more satisfied with your life than if you're Russian. The international comparisons say if you want to have a fulfilling, satisfying life, don't be Russian. (laughs) Yeah. So levels of happiness and life satisfaction will vary, and the shape of these curves will vary, like when they bottom out, some countries earlier than others. But the larger phenomenon seems to be pretty deeply wired because it's been found almost everywhere to one degree or another. So I try to tell people, you know, this isn't necessarily about what you ate for lunch or whether you have kids or whether we've had an industrial revolution or social media. All of those things can, can cause complications. But the underlying phenomenon here seems to be more of an internally driven transition of things that are going on in our brains and basic social adaptations to move us through a transition to a stage in life that moves us away from focusing on ambition and social climbing and competition you know enhancing our status so that we get more mating opportunities hmm. which is what nature really wants us to do in our teens and 20s and 30s and then a transition to a different phase of life where we are probably a uh, postmenopausal probably not having kids maybe becoming grandkids humans are one of only three or four species on the planet that outlive our reproductive capacity Mm. Claire, you will probably live 30 or 40 years beyond childbearing age. Why would, why would evolution allow that? In most other species, you drop dead when you can't reproduce because your body is just a, a walking corpse, can't yeah. reproduce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it appears that what may be happening, we don't really know, but in us and the few other species that do this, it appears that what may be happening is what's called the grandparent effect or the grandmother effect which is that as we move to the later stages of life, we become less focused on personal competition and status and more focused on helping our kids and our communities. And that enhances their survival potential. But that requires an adaptation. So the things that we thought were super fulfilling when we're young, you know, I got that perfect job. Wow, this is my great, I got a house. Uh, My house is better than the neighbor's house. All of that begins to fade away as as your priorities transition to a stage in life where you're thinking more about the quality of your relationships, more about mentoring, to coin a phrase, midlife mentoring, to coin another phrase. And as we age through life, the rewards of this are tremendous because it turns out climbing the greasy pole is very transitory. It's like what I described. Ambition is a trickster. It moves the goalpost. You think you got what you want, but then you immediately want the next thing.
0: I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when.
2: Correct. Whereas investing in those core relations, those, those friendships, those kids, those grandkids, the community, the volunteer work, the teaching, the mentoring, the coaching, bringing others together, sharing your wisdom, All of those pursuits don't move the goalpost. They add up. They really do give lasting fulfillment. So at the end of this transition from social competition to social cooperation and giving is the most satisfying stage of life, late adulthood, and even better news. Late adulthood is now 10 or 15 years longer than it was 100 years ago, and that's only going to increase. We're getting a huge increase in the number of years in the most pro social and satisfying years of life. Mm-hmm. That's 50s, 60s, 70s, now 80s. It's going to be, people are going to be healthy and active into their 90s. Mm-hmm. So that is tremendously good news.
1: It is. I love that. Absolutely love that. And
0: I love, I love how positive you are about this because. We need that, right? Um, When we're in this, and I I was just thinking, listening to you speaking, I was just thinking, my goodness, it is definitely what I started to experience last year. 2023 was, and anyone that has listened to our podcast frequently will know that I've actually been pretty vulnerable and shared that I had a real moment last May where everything that you have kind of been saying about our 20s and 30s and striving and pushing and fighting and gaining and the status all actually just came to a real standstill for me in May, where I realised very, very profoundly that there was some, some stuff missing in my life. And it's everything that you just explained, that sense of community. You know, I think when COVID happens, our business like everyone's we all went very much online we became quite insulated and i, I kind of recognized that i hadn't really come out of that isolation and so i really involved myself in community in giving in um yeah just just re-evaluating what was important to me and so that was the age of 43 going into 43, <laughs> you're
2: going you're, in, bit of, you're yeah. bit ahead of most people if, if you're already <laughs> there but But you know, one of the things that's so important about understanding the happiness curve is, although I'm talking about some pretty big and deep changes that seem to be wired into chimps and orangutans and humans, we're conscious beings, right? So we can actually understand what's happening to us and make choices that help us get through it and maximize it. One way to do that is just the fact that you're feeling midlife malaise doesn't mean your life doesn't need changing up. Your values are changing in this stage of life. And you want to start the process of realigning your life with your values. And the key to doing that in one's 40s, it's not to avoid change. It's to avoid sudden radical change. It's to work with others to develop a plan that builds on your strength, but moves you to a life track which will be more in tune with your changing values. A great way to do that, I came away from my book, a big fan of the coaching model. The therapeutic model doesn't really work because it says you're broken will fix you, but you're not broken in midlife transition. You're exactly where you should be. Yes. What you actually need is an ally, yeah. someone mm-hmm. with some experience who can come alongside of you and help you sort of sort through the variables of your life, which is very complicated. You don't know how much of what your experience is aging versus other things going on and things you really do need to change and things that you should keep the same. The coaching model helps people sort through these issues. What are your values? And how can we work on getting your life closer to these values without making big mistakes? So that's a terrific resource.
0: Yes, and we have to... Um, I would have to agree the reason I became a coach and the crazy thing is I became a coach in my early twenties <laughs> which is just it's a bit was, young it is young it is young and it's it's because I wanted to know myself actually I think I know I didn't actually use coaching for m- many many years because I needed the life experience as well but I I think also through lots of therapy and coaching I'd actually realize that exactly what you said there, there is nothing wrong with therapy and it absolutely has its place and helps many, many people. And it helped me, but it's very that you're broken. We need to keep fixing it. We need to keep going over and over and picking the scab a little bit. Whereas coaching is that very much, okay, where, where are we now? Where can we get you to um, without making those big mistakes? Because something that keeps ringing in my, in my mind is, that is what some people do, isn't it? They're kind of like they throw everything up in the air and they think my relationship, it's not me, it's my relationship. It's not that my values are misaligned, it's my relationship. So yes. I'm going to throw that in the dustbin. Which,
2: which I almost did. In my yeah. mid-40s, I was talked out of that by a couple of good friends. Um, but wow. but I, this, this, these demons of discontent became so loud in my mid-40s that I, was, I just felt this very strong temptation to yeah. just walk into the office and say, I quit. I'm doing something else. I don't care what it is. Now, that would have been a bad idea. And I knew intellectually it was a bad idea, but it's what the demons were telling me to do. It's so so a coach and a partner can help you figure out, okay, let's, let's begin sorting this, sorting this out. Mm. And people make absolutely wonderful transitions in midlife and post-midlife. Part of what's going on here is this sense of gloom and pessimism. If I'm not happy at age 45 with all of the things achieved that I've achieved, I never will be. That's so wrong. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. No, I love I love that. We always say, like, you know, the, the best years of your life really are still still ahead of you, you know, if you're if you're in midlife. Like you say, we're we're living longer. The quality of our life is getting better thanks, to, you know, improved improve medical care, improved technology. Um, there's 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 so much we can on. we can foresee, like you said, we're going to live healthy, active lives to yeah, our 90s. Know, yes. So what well, here's, we see that time?
2: here's what needs to change, in in my opinion. In a way, this is to me the most important lesson of of my book. So far, we're talking about individuals and how I feel and how you feel and how we should feel, but that's really not where the action is. Midlife malaise is a social disorder. And it comes from misaligning society's expectations of how our lives should look with the actual reality. Society's expectations, at least in the US, probably also in the UK and most of the Western world, is that we should be at our physical and emotional peak at midlife. We're taking care of our kids and our parents, our careers are settled, we should have our houses, we should be saving for retirement. We should be gods. And if we're not gods, shame on us. We're having a midlife crisis. And then after midlife comes despair, decline, disease, and death. So it's only going to get worse. Mm-hmm. The actual shape of life is more like the opposite of that. Midlife is a vulnerable transition period, in some ways, like adolescence. Mm. But we don't socially reach out to people, we don't have models for coaching, we don't allow people to feel vulnerable, we make fun of midlife as a stage. Mm -hmm. And then we've got our society set up to essentially throw people away in their Mm -hmm. mid-60s. We've got this expectation, you know, James and Claire, when they hit their mid-60s, well, we'll put them out to pasture and they can wait to die. Mm -hmm. They'll go on pension. In fact, these are precisely the years when people most want to give back and are able to give back. So what needs to happen is reconfiguring social expectations for how life should look so that we are there to meet the challenges of midlife in others. And we need to reconfigure jobs, for example, so that there are job transitions, retraining opportunities in our 40s and 50s. The ability to make it easy for people to go back to school and get a different degree. Um, What are called not-so-hard jobs. These are people who no longer, they're now in their 60s. They have so much to give, but they don't want to work that 60-hour week. Mm -hmm. They want to move toward mentoring, for example, or consulting within the business. So creating these not-so-hard jobs that are about giving back. We need to change our pension programs. So that they phase in more smoothly. I would love to see in the United States, maybe you have this in Britain, I'd love to be able to see people take a year or two of their pension, their retirement pension, public pension, in advance, in their 40s and 50s, and apply it to education. Mm. Or midlife gap years. Take a year off. Get funding for that. That should be understood to be normal. You know, it's not something a teenager should do. It's something we should be doing in our 40s and 50s. So you get the point. The idea is mm -hmm. our societies need to change to match the reality of the fact that we are throwing away people with two and eventually three decades of Mm -hmm. talent. Mm -hmm. And one of the talents that they tend to have, not all, but many, is the most valuable talent of all, and that's wisdom. Yes. Mm that's the combination of life experience with understanding how to help other people in complicated situations. Yeah. Now wisdom is rare at any age, but these mental transitions we're talking about of focusing more on others as we get older in life. Mm. That better equips us to be wise.
0: Mm, absolutely. And,
2: and throwing that away. Mm. Age discrimination, you're old, you're not innovative, you're not creative. Uh, you're probably cognitively semi-disabled. Mm. Mm. That's the worst thing we can do.
1: Yeah, actually, we were talking to someone on another podcast, and they they said that they think ageism is probably one of the biggest isms out there at the moment. No, That's it's the so. biggest. Yeah, yeah.
2: It's, the, it's been found in that. countries all over the world. It's studies find that that ageism is found in children as early as as third and fourth grade. That would be eight and nine years old. Prejudice yeah. against older people. Wow! Absolutely oh, you common. More. You hear it all the time. In the, do we do you have the phrase over there? Senior moment.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: Oh, you're having a senior moment. Yeah.
2: Right. Which which is a way of saying old people can't think clearly. Now, this yeah. is not true. In fact, most old people do not have dementia, and they think just fine. And in fact, in the United States, some statistics a couple of years ago were finding that you were more likely to be an entrepreneur and start a new business in your 50s than in your 20s. Hmm.
0: Woohoo to that! Well, Hooray! Hey, I love that. You've got all that life I mean,
1: experience behind you, right? Yeah, um, and I,
0: and I think when we go into organisations, we do see yeah. that. I mean, just witnessing it, we don't necessarily go and talk to them about it, but there is because obviously our focus is midlife. There is that that feeling. We work a lot with menopause and andropause, and you know the reason that menopause has become so big over here, and rightly so and actually there's a lot of menopause policy in business now is because there were whole swathes of women were leaving the workforce when they were going through what they felt like this embarrassing change hormonally. Um, They were feeling invisible. They weren't feeling um, that they had anything to contribute to the workforce. And those women were just leaving and there was no support and no understanding about why they were leaving. That is changing now. But I think what you've been saying just utterly resonates so deeply um with 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 the work that we want to help people with with it's feeling that their wisdom has has something to give the workplace you know they're not on on the rubbish heap as soon as they hit their 45 you know 45 or 50.
1: I think organizations are (laughs) really realizing this because certainly in the UK we have a thing now like a lot of people 55 plus are being made redundant that's that's kind of the end and they, they they struggle to find a similar role but well, what these organizations are finding out post their departure is these people had like uh, like the informal social networks, informal power structures, knew how to get stuff done, not through the the kind of official channels, but kind of like, oh if I need this done, I'll go and speak to that guy over there. And that knowledge has just exited the business, and whole parts of businesses are starting to underperform following this this kind of plus fifty five drain.
2: Well, that's what you're describing is a form of wisdom, which is understanding how to how to work relationships for yourself and the people around you to get things done. Studies in the United States have found that teams in corporate environments are more productive when they're mixed age, when you have older people among younger people. Um, And they find that older people actually increase the productivity of younger people. And that's one um, manifestation of the phenomenon that you're speaking of.
1: Yeah, mm. Jonathan. This is this has been uh, fascinating and amazing and inspiring.
0: Um, it really has. Thank you, you so us, much.
1: What, what are you working on at the moment? What's your current project?
2: Well, it's it's very different. It's it's on Christianity and democracy in the United States, oh, and wow. yeah, the the Trumpification of um, white evangelicalism, and what what can be done about that? Wow, uh, it's wow. a bit different.
1: Yeah, but oh, that was going to be an amazing read as well. Fantastic!
0: That has surprised me, but excited me. I'm looking forward to. So, when do you think that's going to? No, no pressure. But when do you think that's going
2: to be? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm f- I'm finishing the book now, and the oh, yeah. publication date is set for January of 2025. Oh. So I'd love okay. to come back on the show. One of the things that that I've learned along the way, I'm an I'm an atheist and always have been. I'm, I'm a Jew, but also never believed in God and never understood why people would. But I have come to see, not just me, but a lot of social science evidence and a lot of political mayhem is showing that when people lose the anchors that religion can give them in terms of their values and the the sense of higher purpose and meaning in life, they look for that in bad places, Mm -hmm. like politics. And I believe, actually, there's an interaction between these two things that we're talking about. Because one of the things people do when they hit their 40s and don't feel that sense of purpose in life anymore and begin to feel this sense of discontent if you're part of a religious community, there are people around you who will say things like you know God has a plan for you if you're just wandering out there by yourself and you think soul cycle or jogging is going to do this <laughs> oops did I hit a nerve there no. oh I love that soul, no, cycle, I mean, yeah.
0: soul cycle it just makes good you know, we see that all the time. It's not going to fix you. Going going, going to do spin class four times a week isn't, yeah, going, to it's, cut, with cut, isn't it's, going to cut it.
2: It's not going to deal with your sense of crisis around your meaning and purpose in life. Mm. Um, and you're more likely to be isolated and not talking to people. And so these things actually connect. Yeah, yeah.
0: it's so true. So, so fascinating. True. That's why actually on the program that we work with and the people that we speak to, I, I, I suppose that kind of, I don't really like using the word spirituality, but that kind of soul is what you've said, because we have needs to be seen, to hurt, be heard and to matter. At, and at midlife, when all the reasons we've just discussed, there's kind of like this big gaping hole, isn't there? Of like, right, I've got this big gaping hole. I don't know what to fill it with. I'll fill it with not very helpful behaviors potentially yes
2: or politics in the united or states politics, politics yeah you yeah. begin to worship politicians you become you almost religious in your zeal for a certain political party and the yes. the place becomes ungovernable yes yeah
1: well i think you know we we're, we're seeing this a similar pattern over here in the uk you know po- politics is a lot more dominant in in the news and general awareness than i think it ever has been mm. um, but i don't think we're as, i think it's partisan certainly what i observe from distance in the us you know like Republicans and Democrats—they yeah, can't—they can't even speak now. You're like they, you're one or the other, and there's no middle ground. And it's—it's it's this really, um, yeah, it's a disturbing, disturbing path. Because I think we, are, we have got something similar, similar here yes. and all through Europe as well. Absolutely.
2: Yes, politics is fundamentally about negotiation. Mm-hmm. Religion is fundamentally about absolutes, and they really don't mix very well when you turn your politics into a religion. You become much more rigid, and politics can't really do its job with those expectations to give people fulfillment in life. No.
0: Well, we will definitely have to have you back on our show talking about that book when it's out. Can't wait for that. But um, I'd love
2: that, and I'd be remiss not to mention my my books available in in the UK. Fantastic! Uh, At at fine bookstores everywhere.
1: Well, we'll put we'll put a link to your to your book the happiness curve in the show notes as well and um if people did want to like just find out more about you or get in touch with you how could they do
2: that i have a website jonathanrausch.com and there's a contact link there perfect as and well, well that- as many of my articles
1: Fantastic.
0: And we'll put that in the show notes as well. But yeah, I mean, absolutely recommend your book. It's absolutely fabulous. Anyone going through this I crazy. Think it's very and inspiring and positive. Useful. I think it's a
1: really important it's thing to re-
0: say about it. really positive yeah. and uplifting, but also really helps people feel less alone and really explains what's going on. So thank you for writing it.
1: Jonathan. Well, and
2: I, I hope it's, I, it's the book that I wish I could have read when I was 38 or 39, but I, I also encourage people to read it even if they're 25 or 65, or not having these issues, mm, that's true. This is a book that's going to help you understand some of the love people in your life mm. and what they're going through and how you can be there for them.
1: Jonathan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. It really has been.
0: Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. It's been a joy to be with you.
1: been listening to the midlife mentors with claire and james davis
0: yeah. we'd love to hear from you so drop us a line at info at with any questions or topic suggestions
1: and make sure you join us on our facebook page and youtube channel you can find us under the midlife mentors
2: yeah Thanks so much for listening to
0: this episode. And don't forget to take the Midlife Reset audit now to receive personalized insights into what's holding you back from living your healthiest, happiest midlife. So go ahead and take the audit now at themidlifementors.com forward slash audit.